Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. Here are your hosts, Bill Fraser and Tony Sartu. Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. I'm Bill. And I'm Tony. And we're going to explore our love for music by sharing some facts and our thoughts about some of the best albums from the most recent Rolling Stone Top 500 album list. And today's album is The Stranger by Billy Joel. The Stranger was released on September 29th, 1977. On the 2003 Rolling Stone Top 500 list, it was number 67. On the 2012 list, it was number 70. And then on the 2020 list, it dropped down to number 169. So, Tony, The Stranger spent six weeks at number two on the U.S. Billboard chart. Uh, it had four hit singles, Just the Way You Are, Moving Out, Anthony Song, She's Always a Woman, and Only the Good Die Young. And from the period of time from 1977 to 1985, it was the best-selling album that Columbia Records had ever had. It sold 10 million units worldwide. So I don't understand. How is it that it was number two for six weeks? It sold 10 million records. It was the best-selling Columbia Records album for you know nearly eight years. What happened? Well, it came up against a juggernaut. And I think we know what album that was. A Little Thing Called Rumors? A Little Thing Called Rumors. It was all about heartbreak and breaking up and fighting and Cavassier and Coyotes. And, and even the great stranger couldn't. Uh, it toppled that. He, even even with his his pugilistic excellence, he could not top <laughs> rumors. So, Bill, tell me. I know that this album's important to you. Tell me your personal history. So, we talked a little bit in previous episode about first albums. My very first album that I bought. I bought two albums, and I've mentioned on previous pod. I bought two albums at Two Guys in an and One of them was Billy Joel's Glass Houses, 1980. I was nine years old, and I played the heck out of that album. I listened to it all the time. Billy Joel was huge in New York, New Jersey metro area. My family was all from New York. Billy Joel was enormous. So Billy Joel played a huge part in my life. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like you're alone there. Shout out to our old buddy Ira, who said that this was the first album he ever listened to beginning to end. So, And I, I love that he sent us the picture of the album cover like right away. So. Yeah, like he had that on his phone. Weird. <laughs> so for me, I do not have that same history with Billy Joel. Um, although I was born in New York and have lived in New Jersey for the majority of my life, didn't move here until 84, 85. I think it was 85. So that was already past The Stranger. And uh, I think Greatest Hits 1 and 2 uh, came out, you know, shortly thereafter. I know for sure that's all of my Billy Joel experience prior to the garbage that came out, you know, later was just the uh, Greatest Hits Volume 1 and 2. So I've never, until last week, had never listened to The Stranger. Dude, I, I, so I, I disagree with the garbage comment because I don't think Billy Joel put out bad music, period. Okay. I, like there, there are albums that are not as end-to-end -end great, but there are good tracks on every single album. Fair enough. I'm biased because I've just got something in my craw with Billy Joel with, you know, the we didn't start the fire. I mean, my God, it's as if I heard 
it's the end of the world as we know it. And I just said, how about I make an exact version of it, but way worse and super lame and totally, you know, old manny. Well, then, and then the other one that just bugs me is Down Easter Alexa is essentially, I'm going to redo the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, except I'm going to call it Down Easter Alexa and I'm going to sing it to the exact same tune and I'm going to make it about a boat. And but, but dude, like, haven't we talked about on the last several pods that that imitation is the greatest form of flattery and that re redoing and reinventing and, and whatever, there's nothing wrong with it. Haven't we talked about that the last several pods? All right, fine. Okay, Billy Joel's great. <laughs> All right, so why don't we talk a little bit about what was going on in 1977. We talked about 1977 in our rumors pod, but maybe not everybody listened to that pod. So I'm going to do a little summary of what happened in 1977. So the year is 1977. Jimmy Carter is the president with Walter Mondale as his VP in New York City, where this album, The Stranger, was recorded. New York is going through a very difficult time. The 70s were tough. There's a lot going on with the energy crisis that was going on. Son of Sam is ravaging New York City. He's eventually captured later in the year, but it was still a very scary time in New York City. And then there's New York City blackout. Right while this album was being recorded, Elvis died. So Elvis died in, in August. And in an interview that I listened to, Billy Joel talked about how that impacted him and the group as they were recording this album. Um, Apple Computer was formed. Pele retired. He played his last game for the Cosmos. For anybody who remembers watching Pele on the Cosmos, I do. With Franz Beckenbauer and, and Giorgio Canalia, I remember watching Pele on the Cosmos. It was, it was something like amazing, the fact that you have the best soccer stars in the world all on this U.S. soccer team. So it was really very cool. Well, just a quick correction. Uh, Pele's last soccer match was for the Allied prisoners in victory. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you've got some cool things that happened in arts. You've got on TV, the debuts of Three's Company, The Love Boat, Eight is Enough, Chips and Soap. And in the movies, Rocky, Star Wars, and Saturday Night Fever. 77 was pretty cool when it came to TV and movies. Yeah, so the top 10 TV shows for the year were uh, Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days, followed by Three's Company. So Three's Company came out and was wow. an immediate came out uh, top three hit. Yeah, uh, 60 Minutes, Charlie's Angels, All in the Family, Little House on the Prairie, Alice, MASH, and One Day at a Time. Was so the sitcoms was, were alive was, and well. Was never a Little House on the Prairie fan. Just couldn't, couldn't connect to it. Oh, gosh. I mean, Colleen, that is her jam. Still, like we still watch Little House in this house. And then uh, as far as uh, movies go, so Star Wars came out and, you know, Star Wars. But then uh, the other top five movies were something called The Deep, which I hadn't heard of. I still don't know what The Deep is about. Is that the one with Jacqueline Bissett with the, um, there's like a diving thing? Um, I think I saw that one actually, if I'm not mistaken, but I don't know. Well, Jacqueline Maybe I'm Bissett. Wrong. Uh, Spy Who Loved Me, Oh God. And The Exorcist 2. Those were the top five movies after Star Wars. Uh, Saturday Night Fever wasn't a top five movie because it only came out in December, uh, December 16th. So really just two weeks. And even then, it grossed like $20 million. It was the one with Jacqueline Bissett. I had to Google it. I was right. <laughs> nice. 
and uh, I don't know if you mentioned it, but also Close Encounters came out in November. So ah, I forgot that. Yeah. yeah. So that was uh, an enormous hit, but really most of the box office happened uh, the following year. All right. So, you know, we talked about some of the uh, top albums last time. So the number one albums for the year, there weren't that many. Uh, Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder, Hotel California by The Eagles, Wings Over America by Wings, the soundtrack The Star is Born, Rumors, Barry Manilow Live, and Linda Ronstadt with Simple Dreams. So only seven number one albums. Rumors was the top selling album for the year and was number one for uh, something like 20, 20 weeks, if I remember right. So what I thought I wanted to call out was those are stars. You know, I mean, those are all timers. Uh, as far as performers go, uh, you, you know, you've got Paul representing with Wings and the Eagles and Stevie and all that. You know, I mean, these are amazing performers, but the top 10 singles for the year, you've got Rod Stewart with the number one single for the year, Tonight's the Night. So you've got Rod, but then you've got I Just Want to Be Your Everything by Andy Gibb. You've got Best of My Love by The Emotions, uh, Angel in Your Arms by a something called Hot. I like Dreamin' by Kenny Nolan. So the top 10 singles, besides Evergreen from Barbara Streisand and the Stars Born soundtrack, they're really not, you know, by famous people. You've got Rod, you've got ba- uh, Barbara, and then you've got a bunch of no names. Well, you've got disco period, right? You've got the yeah. disco time period. Where, you know, Andy Gibb was big with, you know, him, him and his brothers were big, right? Yeah. So. so it's just interesting that, you know, you've got these all-time great albums by all-time great performers, but it didn't translate to the top singles of the time. So, Tony, we talked a little bit about the music in 77. We talked a little bit about the the social climate in 77. Let's talk a little bit about the background of Billy Joel in the lead-up to the album, The Stranger. So Billy Joel was born in the Bronx, but at a very early age, moved to Hicksville, Long Island. And his father was originally born in Nuremberg, Germany and, and emigrated to the US. And his mother, Rosalind, was born in Brooklyn. And they divorced when he was eight and his father moved back to Europe. So his father didn't play a large role in his life fr- from that point forward. He started playing piano early on. So age of four, his mom put him in piano lessons because his dad was a pianist and she, I guess, wanted him to be like dad. And he basically played piano until his teenage years. And along with that, he was a boxer. He was a Golden Gloves boxer and was pretty successful. But in the last fight, he got a broken nose and said, that's it, I'm done, and hung up his gloves. He never graduated high school with his class. He actually was playing piano at night in a piano bar to kind of help his family, his mom and his sister, have you know some extra money for the house and, and make ends meet. And he missed a crucial thing in his English class, never graduated. And he decided that it wasn't important. I'm going to, I'm not going to Columbia University. I'm going to try to get signed by Columbia Records. And and that's, that's actually his quote. And he decided to go after his music career. So in 1970, he signed with Family Productions. He went on to make an album, Cold Spring Harbor, then got heard by Columbia Records, moved out to LA, made The Piano Man, made Street Life Serenade, was tired of LA, 1975, he moves back to New York City, makes the album Turnstiles, and that's kind of the setting and the lead up to The Stranger. None of those albums were successful. 
He had a few songs that were successful. Specifically, he had some airplay. None of them were radio hits, but he had some airplay. So he had songs that people heard because a local disc jockey liked it and played it. Like the Piano Man got some airplay and Captain Jack got some airplay. But other than that, he really wasn't incredibly successful. He was actually at a point where his album were doing so poorly that Columbia Records was really seriously considering dropping him. So that's the setting for coming up to The Stranger. Yeah, so um, touching on a couple of points that you mentioned there. So you talked about the boxing and and the boxing was not an accident. It wasn't a passion of his. It was because he was getting bullied. Yep. He, wanted, he, he wanted a way to stand up for himself. Yeah. yeah. So. So, so good for him and uh, glad that he was pretty good at it. But yeah, so you were talking about how he was getting some airplay. So his first album was called Spring Harbor. It was a, a massive failure. However, a DJ in Philadelphia heard a uh, live recording of Captain Jack and liked it yep. and started playing it and putting it on heavy rotation. Yep. And some uh, some guy from Columbia Records uh, heard it and signed him. So inadvertently, he got signed to Columbia uh you know, just not even really by pitching to Columbia, but just had a, a guy hear him on the radio. And they wound up thro throwing that song on the first album that he did with Columbia Piano Man. So, yeah. So uh, Cold Spring Harbor. So his first album with that, um, his uh, initial record deal. What happened there, Bill, was... was Is that, is that, is that going to be something you want to tell us that we might not know, Tony? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Bill. So, so Tony, why don't we go straight into our something you might not know section? Because I am dying to hear about Cold Spring Harbor. So it's amazing because this Cold Spring Harbor, I'd never heard of this. I I really thought Piano Man was his first album. All, all I, the only thing I know about Cold Spring Harbor is it's in Long Island. That's all I know. Had you heard of this album? I had not, I had not yeah. heard of this album, no. Yeah. However, the lead track on this album is a song called She's Got Away. I, I know. It's a huge song. And, and like, how did that never yeah. become even slightly successful? So Un until, until, like, the much later album when they recorded the live album, right? So exa Exactly. So, and the reason is this. So Cold Spring Harbor, this rinky-dink recording uh, record company that he signed to, somehow or another, screwed up the recording session of this album and recorded it too fast and if you actually look at it it's it's 10 tracks 30 minutes and <laughs> <laughs> which there, there should have been a giveaway somewhere along the line that there was something wrong here recorded it too fast he didn't sound quite like the chipmunks but sounded chipmunky and it sounds terrible and it was an absolute failure and you know, nobody knew who he was, so nobody knew that this isn't what he was trying to put out. Why would somebody put this out? So, have you listened to it? Because I, I, I listened did. to it. I listened to it earlier. Man, yeah. it, it is. It is not quite Chipmunks, but it's not far off. It's not far off. And and I actually listened to a couple of tracks. It's worse further on, I guess, because she's got a way. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she's got a way because you know it so like you know it's, it's you can kind it's of fix it in your head a little bit yeah yeah exactly i think that was fixing it but these other songs that i didn't know it's like oh man the heck is going on here yeah so apparently the story goes that when he first heard it he would you know took the vinyl record that he was listening to and went out in the street and smashed it because he was so furious 
there was definitely something I did not know. So mm -hmm. I, I, that, I had never heard of the album. I had never known much about it, but yeah, that that's just nuts. But it also explains something because, you know, like I told you, my Billy Joel experience began with greatest hits one and two and she's got away. The live version is what's on that album. And I won't say that I always wondered, but it was curious. Why, why would they pick a live version of this song when everything else is studio? And, and I think now we know the answer. All right. So Tony, that was an awesome, something you didn't know. Um, I am going to work hard to try to give you something interesting. So I'm, I'm going to start with uh, the decision on the producer for the stranger. So we talked a little bit before about the lead up, right? And where Billy Joel was. He was in a bad place. At the point in time that they were about to make the album, his wife is his manager. He's not selling albums. Columbia is looking at him like, who is this freaking guy? So, so they have him sit down with George Martin, the Beatles producer. And wow. George, George Martin says, I, I'd love to do your album. Okay. But here's what we're going to do. I, I know you like your touring band and, and okay, they're great and everything, but I, that's not how I work. I want to work with studio musicians and we're going to, we're going to make you a great album. This is going to be awesome. And Billy Joel said, you know what? I've tried that. That's what I did on all of my first albums. We worked with studio guys. I, I felt like with that last album, we just did turnstiles where it was with my band. It was starting to come together and gel. I really want to do an album with my, with my band, with my, with my touring band. I really think of us as a band and not as me, just as a solo act. I'm not going to choose you, George Martin. So he walks away from wow. George Martin. He walks away from George Martin. Okay. And so, keep in mind, he was a big Beatles fan. He was a huge Beatles fan. Exactly. Huge Beatles fan. He's not doing well. Like th this is like just you know, not set up well. Right. So this is, he, a, I mean, honestly, this is such a ballsy decision to make. Beatles fan, George, you've got George Martin in the room. You've sold nothing. He's willing say, to work with you. You say no. No, thank you. No, thank you, George Martin. Yes. Wow. So he had known Phil Ramone. He, he like talked a little bit to Phil Ramone. So he has a sit down with Phil Ramone. And Phil Ramone was not as obviously prolific as George Martin was at the time, but Phil Ramone had had some success. So Phil Ramone had just produced a very successful album for Paul Simon um, and, and had been a, an engineer and, and co-owner uh, of A&R Music Studios where The Stranger was recorded. So ultimately, he decides to go with Phil Ramone as his, as his producer. So let's talk a little bit about Phil Ramone. So Phil Ramone started out his career as an engineer. So this guy is a brilliant musician engineer, producer. He played for the Queen of England on the violin at the age of 10 because he was such an wow. accomplished, accomplished musician. As an early on in his, in his engineering days, he was the engineer on the Getz and Gilberto album. You know which album that is, right? Is that uh, Girl from Ipanema? Girl from Ipanema. He was the, the recording engineer on the Girl from Ipanema. Wow. He's the guy who recorded Happy Birthday. Day, Mr. Really? That's him. He recorded that Marilyn Monroe singing happy birthday to John F. Kennedy. So the guy is just all over the place. He's recorded and produced Paul Simon, the band, Quincy Jones, Dionne Warwick, Bob Dylan, McCartney, the Ram album, 
The Stones, Madonna, Frank Sinatra, Chicago, Burt Bacharach, and in the year we're talking about, 1977, you mentioned A Star is Born. He was the producer for that album. He recorded Streisand and Christofferson doing the duet for wow. A Star is Born. So prolific, prolific guy that just went on from 77, had a string of success with Billy Joel, but had a massive success across the board as a producer. He's also very ahead of his time when it comes to using technology. So on the next album, not the next album, the, the, the album after Glass House's um, 52nd Street, it is the first album ever to be pressed onto a compact disc and that he produced that album. Wait a minute. Say that again. I don't, are you saying it was the first? It was the first album pressed onto a compact disc, Billy Joel's 52nd Street. Wow. And Phil Ramone was the producer, and he's the one who actually kind of engineered that happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So, because there wasn't like a, a demand for it. He was no. basically seeing the future. He was seeing the future, exactly. So prolific, prolific producer, ahead of his time with technology, amazing, amazing connections and just a, a brilliant choice. While he didn't want to pick George Martin because Martin wanted him to pick studio musicians, the conversation that he had with Phil Ramone, Phil Ramone said, I love your touring band. I love the gritty sound. I love the way that it works. We're going to record an album. It's going to sound like a live album. And that's what they went and did. Too much success. Well, Bill, you did it again. I feel like I brought some interesting stuff to something you might not know, and you blew my doors off. That, that was really great stuff. So um, let's move on to our next segment, the album track review. This is where we talk about each of the songs and we talk about, um, you know, just what was noteworthy to us, any comments that we have. So that leads me to a question that we had from one of our loyal listeners. Shout out to Willie, who asks, as this album features a reprise of The Stranger, are we going to cover nine tracks or ten? Well, it's not listed as a, a reprise on the, uh, on, the, on the album cover, so I'm going to say it's nine. All right. The answer is nine. Okay. So we have nine tracks and we open up with what? Moving out. Anthony's song. So it starts off right out of the box. Strong song. I, like It's just a, an all time great song, you know, the, the, just a phenomenal song. And, and the, the thing that, the thing that I like about this song and a few of the songs on the album is the way that he does the little vignette parts of it. And, and it's, it's very, it's very much a story. Each of the songs mm -hmm. is a story and, and he's a great storyteller. You get the imagery of what's going on. And, and you know, it's one of the few artists where I probably listen to the words just as much as I listen to the music. And I probably, I, I tend to listen to the music more than I listen to the words. And with Billy Joel, I say that it's just probably an equal balance for me. Yeah. His storytelling is just, such first-rate storytelling. I feel like not necessarily that together the songs make a play or a movie, but they're all potentially scenes in plays or movies. That's how well uh, drawn the characters are. You feel like you really uh, know something about these characters. They're not superficial and really well-written, very deep, and just... Uh, wonderful, wonderful songwriting. 
you know, the the only uh, piece of that song that, I, you know, I thought was interesting. So when I was listening to an interview with uh, with Billy Joel, he was talking about the section with the heart attack. And he when he envisioned the song, he actually thought they were going to do it with an echo. Oh, know, really? Song. So he goes to Phil Ramone. This is what I want it to sound like. I want it to sound like heart attack. So you're going to do that with the echo, right? And he's like, no, no, no. You're going to do it exactly like that. So that's so that's that's how it came about. That's a great illustration of of Phil Ramone's genius because that might be my favorite part of that song is is those those instances of that fake echo. Yep. No, it's 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 just neat. And there, uh -huh. there's a theme of that with all of the songs where all of the interviews that I've I've listened to, Billy Joel gives a little anecdote of something Phil Ramone brought to each of the songs like that. And I'm like, he picked the right guy. Like yeah. he picked the right guy. And how interesting, you know, you're talking about Phil Ramone being, you know, so tech savvy and ahead of his time. And yet his solution here is, no, I'm not using the echo. You're going to do the manual echo. That's great. Just, just sing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, man, I love that. All right. So up number two is The Stranger. Similar. So uh, when when they're recording the song, they, he had the, the whole... Um, outline for the song, Billy Joel was saying like, you know, I think there's something that's needed here. And he whistles this part and he goes, I think we need something here. I'm not sure what, what we're going to do it in. Uh, what instrument should that be? And Phil Ramone looks at him and goes, you just played the instrument that it's going to be. It's the whistle. So Phil Ramone brought the whistle and then they threaded that whistle in the album in several places, which is just brilliant. So Bill Ramone brought so much, just in the first two tracks, he brought so much to this album. And going back to what we were talking about before with, you know, that storytelling, you know, that whistle is part of the storytelling. 100%. So next up is Just the Way You Are. The, this song, like the story of this song cracks me up. He hated this song. He didn't really? want it. He didn't want it on the album. They, they actually had to get Linda Ronstant in the room and have him play the song for Linda Ronstadt and Linda Ronstadt looked at him and goes, you're crazy. That's a hit. That's the, one of the best songs I ever heard. You have to have that on the album. And he put it on the album. So they've got the song. They've probably been working on it and he's saying no. He didn't, he didn't like it. Billy Joel didn't like it. So what? And so someone says, I'm going to call Linda up and can, <laughs> I like, what so. was she doing there? I just, I, I'm just miscellaneous Linda Ronstadt. Yes. It wasn't right. Stevie Nicks. It was Linda. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, Bert, that's for you. Our token Stevie Nicks reference. But he wrote that song for his wife at the time, who was his manager at the time. And there's actually kind of an interesting story about him and his, him and his wife. So uh, if you'll indulge me for a second, please, he, he um, Early in his career, he, he kind of hopped around from a few bands. So he was in a group called The Hassles, and then him and the, the drummer from The Hassles left, and they became a duo, a power duo, a metal power duo called Attila. And if you Google it and, and listen to it on YouTube, the whole album is on YouTube. You can listen to it. I, I did, but you believe me, you don't have to, okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... It was him and the drummer. The drummer's name was John Small. John Small's wife at the time was who Billy Joel wound up marrying. So they he they split as a band because he stole his wife. <laughs> wow. And, so in the same year that Rumors was number one and The Stranger was number two. 
well, it, it was all before it was before that, but yeah, similar uh, similar yeah. thread. So, so he wrote that song for his wife at the time, and his wife at the time was uh, the former wife of his friend from Attila, the power metal duo. Power metal duo. <laughs> that doesn't even sound like a real thing. Power metal duo <laughs> is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm telling you, Google it. Listen, if you if you doubt me, listen to it on YouTube. You'll you'll like you'll oh, listen, no. to, you'll listen to like two minutes and you'll turn it off. Yeah, I, I did my research. I know they exist. I didn't know that they were a power metal duo because that just sounds ridiculous. That feels like Beavis and Buttheady. It kind of sounds like Beavis and Butthead. It's kind of it's actually almost got an Inagata Devita vibe to it. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right, so now we just get beautiful, to... A beautiful love song, though. I mean, Just the Way You Are, beautiful love song. All-time great, beautiful love song. It wound up being like the wedding song for how many people after that? Right. Yeah, no, wonderful song. And, you know, leads us to another great song, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. So it's his day in the life. I mean, yeah. that, that that's the best way I can put it. So I, you know, th this is obviously a great song, but I started listening to it closely, you know, you know, preparing for this pod. And, and I'm not sure I actually follow the thread of the, of the story. Like, so it's, it's, it's actually, so going, going back to Stevie and, and, and Fleetwood Mac, this is three songs cobbled together. Really? So this, this is three songs cobbled together. So he had three songs, three unfinished songs. This is the chain. This uh -huh. is the, this is exactly what the song is. Song. Yeah. This is a Frankenstein song. Oh, I didn't know that. The Ballad of Brenda and Eddie, uh -huh. um, and I don't remember the names of the other two. But you answered my question. All-time great. One of my all-time favorite songs. Um, so I, I go back to – so a piece that I didn't hit on um, in the context for this album. So I talked about my context with Billy Joel, but I didn't talk about how the context for this album. So this album for me goes back to when I was working in college at Pizza Hut on <laughs> Albany Street in New Brunswick. And Tony, you remember when I worked at Pizza Hut in Albany uh, Street in New Brunswick? I, I definitely okay. do. So I was a waiter at Pizza Hut in Albany Street in New Brunswick. And when we would close up for the night or when we were working at night, there was a jukebox in the corner and the wait staff would kind of dominate everything that was on the jukebox. And especially when we were closing up at night, we would pick just songs that we wanted to listen to while we were cleaning up. And I was a huge Billy Joel fan, but I didn't really know this album quite as well because it was a little earlier than I really started like being a rabid music person. Uh, I was like six years old at the time, right? So it was a little earlier than I was aware of that. So um, some of my friends would play songs from this album and just caught me. Like they were on specifically scenes from an Italian restaurant was one that was played every night that I worked at Pizza sure. It was like every night we'd play that while we were cleaning up and just like latched onto it immediately. Okay, so next up is Vienna. Now Vienna is a song. So when I was listening to this album, I told you that literally I had never listened to this album before until about a week or so ago. Um, so you've got all the hits that are on you know, Billy Joel's Greatest Hits, Volume 1 and 2. The only song from this album that I knew that wasn't on The Greatest Hits was Vienna. So Vienna's a wonderful song. Apparently it's, you know, a tribute to his father who, you know, after he split with his mom, moved back to Vienna. And uh, and Billy hadn't seen him, I guess, for like 20 years or so. And then 
you know, was touring or was in Europe for some reason and reconnected and wrote the song about him. And he saw a little old lady sweeping the streets and talked and asked his father, you know, why, why do they have her working? And his father said to him, well, everybody's, you know, everybody's useful. You know, you actually still have a purpose in life, even though that you're, you're old doesn't mean you don't have a purpose in life. And that's kind of all connected for him with the song and Vienna waits for you. So it's, it's a beautiful song. Absolutely beautiful song. And just more pristine storytelling. So now we go to what was always my favorite song on the greatest hits, Only the Good Die Young. So, And just a short, fast, exciting, awesome song. So we were in Florida for vacation. And as we were listening to this, Colleen just turns to me and she says, this is just a perfect pop rock song. And she's right. That's why it's always been my favorite. I think it's a perfect, perfect song. It, it is. And the and the allusion to Virginia. So he his parents were both Jewish, but all of his friends growing up were Catholic. So he actually went to church with his friends. And Virginia was a girl that he knew from, from the Catholic school. <laughs> and she's a real person. So. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. OK, before we move on, I've got one minor correction. Only the Good Die Young is an almost perfect track. The only thing it's missing is jazz flute. Jazz. So I want you to remember that because remember that I have not heard this album before when I said this. Jazz flute. Got it. Jazz flute. All right. So now she's always a woman. So she's always a woman. Beautiful song, right? And another song he wrote for his wife at the time, Elizabeth. Beautiful song. Not much more I can say about it. It's 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 a song that I've always liked, but like it's not exciting. Like it's a beautiful song. Yeah. All time. It's well done. It's well executed, well done, um, but you know, doesn't move and, you. Not something that you care to listen to. But and and, an, and another another Phil Ramone, he the humming part. He's like, you know, I think we should put something in here, and he hummed it, and Phil Ramone goes, yeah, that's what we're going to put in there. So another another Phil Ramone. So he <laughs> he keeps like pushing him with the, let's just uh, you know, you got it right. But use your use your gut. You you just you just did it. But it also just fits in with the premise that he was bringing to, in the pitch. You know, in the pitch, he says, I like the grittiness. Well, that's another way of being gritty. It's like, you know, you're, we're just going to hum it. Yep. So, and and this, this, didn't, this didn't start out as a concept album. But when you tie all of these things together and, you, and even like talking in, in interviews and whatnot, Billy Joel really sees this as it kind of connected as a concept album at the end with all of the things that tied it together. Mm -hmm. All right. So now we're at get it right. The first time, this is the eighth track on the album. And we felt me and Colleen fell out of our chairs when we, when this song came on because it opens with jazz flute. Dude, this, this is the weak link on the album. Um, Oh, it's, it's not good. It, it's the weak link on the album. And and the, the interview that I heard with, with Billy Joel about it was he's like, you know, we have all of these heavy songs and all of this stuff. And it was just supposed to be something light and airy and clean it was palate cleanser. And I don't buy of, it because you don't put a palate cleanser track eight on a nine track I, album. I don't I, I don't either. But it, it is definitely the weak link on the album. Yeah. And, and he said it himself. It's the weak link on the album. Yeah. OK, but that's all good. But. Nothing. You got nothing for me on on jokingly saying that only the good die young has no jazz flute, and then we get jazz flute two songs later. Nothing. Come on. 
I, I, you know, it's the matrix, dude. Yeah. It's the matrix. So there you go. I guess you're so used to it that it does, nothing surprises you. Nothing surprises me. Just just like before we started recording, I told you what movie is playing at the at at the Reading Cinemas on May second near near me. And what before what are you Rain. and I gonna what are you and I gonna go see on May second on Monday May second at Reading Cinemas? We're gonna go see Purple, Purple Rain, Rain in the theater, dude. In the Can't theater. Can't wait. Got to buy me my tickets before they sell out. I'll have to borrow my brother's uh, game blouses shirt. All right, last track, and this is this is the gospely kind of track. Everybody has a dream. It, it's a nice song. I mean, I I like it, and it's definitely been covered a lot. Like I I can tell it? you, well, I can tell you from watching like American Idol and other shows, I've heard this song like a million huh. times. Yeah, like it's it's covered. Yeah. So for me, I mean, I appreciate it as a well executed song, but and maybe it suffers from coming right behind get it right the first time because after those first seven which may as well be a greatest hits those, album, those first those first seven, that's I, you couldn't i couldn't say it better myself the first seven songs on this album are are a greatest hits album all all into themselves yes yeah so then you get get it right the first time and then you you come back with a you know a, a song that's maybe a notch below you know the other bangers and it's a nice song on an album yeah. like i like you know you've got seven all times and a, yeah. a, a you know a weak link and a just a good track yeah so in my opinion you know the the last two kind of hurt the stranger overall as an album now maybe the preponderance of the first seven are enough to make it you know and all i mean no not there's no maybe about it the first seven songs are enough to make it an all-time great album it's just disappointing to end it the way they end it he ends it you know and maybe if he ends it with everybody has a dream but track eight is just decent you know then maybe i don't feel the same yeah. way about the yeah. album overall. honestly i probably would have just made it an eight track album and finished with everybody has a dream and and that would have been enough yeah i i don't think you need get it right the first time you're at you know you take that off the album you're just at under 40 minutes you're at like 39 minutes mm -hmm. with that off the album it's like a perfect album. Yeah. You just because you've got 44 minutes doesn't mean you got to use 44 minutes. Yeah. Well, so Phil Ramone, you did a great job. You should have cut one song. Yeah, I probably would have cut the one song, but just just an all-time great album without with without cutting that. So. All right. So where does that leave us, Bill? I think it leaves us at our last <sighs> segment and our favorite segment. Tony, Tony, Tony. Oh. <laughs> The song draft. You know where that takes us. That takes us to the song draft. What's and, the, what's what? What are the standings so far? And and let's just refresh. When we last left our heroes, one of our heroes has been left in the pits of despair. He <laughs> he he is, oh for five, oh for five, oh my goodness. How do you do that? Oh my goodness. So we every every episode we do a song draft and whoever selected the album lets the other person pick the first track and we go back and forth picking tracks. We create a little roster of songs. We each have our own roster of songs. And at the end, we put a link to our song draft poll on our Facebook page. And we put a link in our episode description in the podcast. And we ask our listeners to vote on who they think selected the better roster of songs. 
and Tony and, is and 0 for 5. There's been some controversy. There have been in your people, head, dude. In your head. No, people are saying. People are people, talking. People are talking. People yeah. are talking. There are is some question about some of the past results. Um, so I just want to encourage the listeners: if you want to vote but are having trouble finding how, hit me up. I'll let you know. I'll, I'll guide you through. You know, I'll come to your house. You're gonna bring out the vote yourself. I'm gonna bring out the vote exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So is it time to close it up? It is time to close it up. I am officially closing the poll. Polls are now closed. And Tony, 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 I, I know you're dying to know how this one worked out. So Purple Rain, phenomenal album, right? And you had first pick and you messed it up. But what happened with Purple Rain, and you and I talked about it after the episode is, there were three just all-time great songs on that album. And the album itself, end-to-end, -end, is a great album. But three tracks were all-time greats, and you got two of them. And I think even the blind squirrel could find that nut. <laughs> hey, I'll take a victory any way I can So, Tony, it. I am very, very happy to finally tell you that you finally, finally gotten over the hump. You finally come up with a victory. That, that's a lot of finalies, Bill. I mean, you're really rubbing it in, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, how, you know, if you if you want to insult our listeners again about how they, you know, they don't like your deep cuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't have anything to say. You're speechless, aren't you? <laughs> I was, I've received several comments about <laughs> the strategy of insulting voters. <laughs> hey, so, and, and whenever I've been talking about this and shouts to our very good friend Chico, I say, Bill picks songs Chico would vote for, and I pick songs that the true fans will vote for. And he insults away. He keeps, <laughs> he keeps going. He's doubling down. He's doubling down. <laughs> I find a hole and I keep digging. <laughs> yep. All right. So, Tony, congratulations. Congratulations. How close was the vote? It was not close. It was okay. not close. So you, you, you won going away on this one. So it was not close. All right. So that leads us to our song draft this week. I'm going for two in a row. All right. Well, you know what? You picked this album, so I get to pick first. So I'm super happy I get to pick first this week. And there is only one choice, Scenes from Italian Restaurant. I think you telegraphed that choice. I think it's the right choice. It's a great choice. Um, congratulations. Well done. I'm going to go with, you know, and I telegraphed this one too. This might not be the right answer. Shouts to Willie, who said that the answer should be moving out. But I'm going with only the good die young. Yeah, that's a great that's a great pick. Um, so I'm not going to tell you where I was going to put it, but uh, it's a great pick. Um, I'm going to have to pick moving out number three. Then I will go with The Stranger. Thank you, because I will take Vienna. And I will take Just the Way You Are. And that leaves me, She's Always a Woman. Everybody Has a Dream. And The Dregs of the Album. And I'll I close... Get it right the first time, which is the last album, the last song in the album. And then I'll close out with the reprise of The Stranger with my last pick. 
even though we already decided it was one track. So, all right, fine. So let's recap. What do you got? So at number one, I've got scenes from an Italian restaurant. At number three, moving out. At number five, Vienna. At number seven, she's always a woman. And at number nine, get it right the first time. And I have only the good die young, the stranger, just the way you are, and everybody has a dream. I'm feeling very good about this this uh, this draft, Tom. Huh? I'm feeling very good about it. So now that the picks are in, where did you like? You said that you so, were happy so, with what I did. So I was really happy with what you did because um, I had only the good die young uh, and Vienna tied at number three. So I would have, I would have been happy with either of them. Uh I like, I love both songs. Um, But so taking the stranger, the stranger was my number seven. So you you jumped jumped the board for me with, with the stranger. So I, I I love the song. Great. Mm -hmm. And all of those top seven songs, all time. Great song. Yeah, but but it was my number seven. So like you you kind of handed me Vienna in my mind. So listeners, uh, Vienna, was- Vienna, Vienna could have been a, like my second pick. I could have picked Vienna second if Moving Out wasn't there. Like if you picked Moving Out, I would have picked Vienna. All right, interesting. So I could have uh, gotten Moving Out and still gotten only the Good Die Young later. You're saying you could have, yes. Okay. So listeners. Comment to us, you know, I don't know how, you know, our, our text, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, tell us what you think. Did I take the stranger too early or was Bill just undervaluing the stranger? I feel comfortable with the stranger at number four. Um, and, and not to say that Vienna, you know, isn't great where he took it. But really, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked to hear Bill wanted to take the stranger at number or thought it was number seven and only the good eye young, you know, round number. Oh, you said that was number three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, per- personally I go scenes from an Italian restaurant moving out and then Vienna and only the good die young are tied. Gotcha. Yeah. So let us know what you think. And then of course, let us know what, who you think won the draft by voting. We really appreciate it. All right, Tony, I think it's time for final thoughts. So final thoughts. I feel like I could just record this and replay it every week because a lot of these albums I really just didn't listen to uh, or not didn't listen to a lot. This one I'd never listened to end to end. And gosh, the first seven songs, I really, really, I was confused that how is this an album and not the greatest hits? It was amazing. So love this album. Can't believe how good it is. And just disappointed that, you know, a little hiccup on track eight. So I, I agree. Uh, so I was talking to Livy about this earlier in the day and she, you know, she's listened to the album like five times cause she knew we were doing the podcast on it. And she's like, this is just a phenomenal album. I love this album. And it, it, it's like, a, it is like a greatest hits. It's just a hit after hit after hit. But even regardless, there weren't really like scenes from Italian restaurant isn't a hit. It's just an all time great song. Right. right? And the, the song and Vienna wasn't a hit. It's just an all time great song. Um, so this album is just a masterwork in storytelling. It's a masterwork in recording an album. When you look at all of the little nuances and how Phil Ramone manipulated little pieces of what happened with this album. One of the things that I I thought was really cool in listening to, um, Billy Joel in, in an interview was he was talking about when artists record albums. And we heard this a lot in when we're talking about the Beatles, the isolation of the different tracks and the, and the different cuts in the tracks. And what they try to do is they try to isolate the mics so you don't get what's called leakage and you don't get 
you don't hear the the vocal going over the piano and the drums coming over the piano and the piano and the drums and the vocal all overlaying. What happened with this album was more like a live album, right? So it really, they recorded these songs mostly in one take. Most of these songs are one take. You know, there's a few instances where that's not the case, like the sax solo in the one song, which was, a, you know, this beautiful, seamless sax solo when you listen to it, but it was actually spliced together six different sax solos Mm -hmm. but most of the songs were played end to end and they were recorded it sounds like a live album because it really was recorded like a live album wow and and that's what phil ramone brought to this album he had billy joel bring the emotion and and the feeling and that was one of the things that was lacking on on the first recordings that he did and that was actually one of the things that you know when people would see see him live when he was early on would say you're going to be this amazing star. You're just this magnetic, amazing performer. And he would go and record these albums and it wouldn't translate. Mm-hmm. And Phil Ramone got it to translate on this album. He, he was able to get it to translate. And that's what sprung Billy Joel to superstardom in my mind. I think this album and very clearly this album mm-hmm. made him a superstar, but it was the ability for him to connect recording the same things that he does when he's performing live. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, what we were talking about in the uh, earlier segments, how did he get signed to Columbia? Right. It was not, it, it wasn't a studio version of Captain Jack. It was a live version. It was, it was a live version. They, they heard it and they were like, wow, we, we, we need this guy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very, very much so. And that's, that's what Phil Ramone brought to this recording. So, you know, we talked about not picking George Martin, but man, he, could he have picked a better producer for this album, I don't think he could have. Yeah. Amazing, and and really, what a what a gutsy call because I can't I can't say that I would have had the stones to make that to make that call. No, so, I mean you have the producer for the Beatles in the room. Like yeah. really, that's that's really a you got a pair exactly. Yeah. All right, well, I guess that ends this week's show. What do we got on tap for next week? Well, wait, wait, wait. We didn't talk about where my where my ranking this. Oh time. gosh. All right, so I love this album. I, I, I've I've actually moved it a few times. Um, this album for me lands at my number eighteen all time. So I don't know how it slid down in the last Rolling Stone list. In my opinion, it should be rated much, much, much higher. So it's my number eighteen album of all time. Yeah, I think that one sixty nine just seems seems embarrassingly low. Embarrassingly yeah. low. Yes. Yeah. So, right. so, so I, I do have one other quick thing that I, I wanted to ask you, Tony, because I'm, I'm curious as to what your perspective is on this. So do you know who the most successful recording artists are of, of all time as far as the number of albums sold? And by number of albums sold, the Recording Industry Association of America, they do this thing where they call it album units and album units include streams. Mm -hmm. So they include streams and they include individual track sales. So they try to like cobble together what would have been traditional album sales in past with streams now and make Mm -hmm. it, try to make it kind of a a fair playing field. So do you have any idea where Billy Joel ranks on that list? Uh, I know that he's in the top 10, but I don't know exactly where he's at. So he is the number seven selling artist of all time the six artists in front of him the beatles garth brooks elvis the eagles zeppelin and michael jackson no one else has sold more albums than than him other than those six artists he sold more than the stones springsteen madonna fleetwood mac u2 journey taylor swift pink floyd elton john you name it 
he sold more than all of them. And that was a surprise for me to learn that. I mean, I knew that he was a big deal and I just really attributed it to, you know, New York bias, but the numbers speak for themselves. You know, this is not just a New York thing. Just an amazing, amazing artist. And the, the other thing I, and I put on our Facebook uh, page, uh, linked to a video uh, interview with Stephen Colbert, which was a great interview. And he, Stephen Colbert was pressing him because he's like, you haven't recorded an album since 93. How come you haven't recorded an album? He's like, because I'm done. I don't have anything else to say. It's like the, Be the Beatles recorded 12 albums. I recorded 12 albums. He's like, I'm not the Beatles, but I don't really have anything else to say. I love playing music, but. I just respect the hell out of it. Just knowing that I've told my stories. I told good stories and I'm done and I'll, I'm just going to keep running back the hits. I like doing it. If you like hearing it, come and hear me play. Otherwise. The, the quote that was great was uh, Colbert said, well, Elton John said that, you know, you really should make more albums. And, and Billy Joel looks at him and goes, and I told El Elton, he really should make less. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> oh. All right. So I think that closes us up for this week, Tone. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of B&T's Excellent Adventure. And next week, we're going to feature what album? Tony, it's my pick. And next week, it's all about the boss, baby. We are listening to Born to Run, Bruce Springsteen. And I cannot wait to talk about Born to Run. Bruce Springsteen. I got nothing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you got that's all you got for the boss that's all you got Bruce Springsteen that's all you got <sighs> yeah me neither Born to Run great album and the boss what can you say <laughs> you must you must be tired Tony <laughs> I'm tired Tony's sleepy alright Tony so I think that wraps us up for the week let's say thank you to our listeners and let's talk to them again next week until next week. See you later. Thanks, everybody.